The Premier League season is over, but we still have the FA Cup final, Champions League and Europa League to come. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bets. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. And welcome to a special edition of the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and the Wolverhampton Wanderers correspondent for The Athletic, Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. Yes. Come on. Have you booked your flights to Germany yet? <laughs> Jackie, I've, I've booked a one-way flight <laughs> for the first time in my life. Literally booked a one-way flight. I may, I may never come back. You ain't coming back. That's fine. Well, we just do it over Zoom or whatever anyway. It's not a problem if you stay there. Well, we are recording this podcast the morning after the night before when Wolves booked their place in the last eight of a European competition for the first time in 48 years. That's before you or I were even a twinkle in the milkman's eye. That's how long ago it was. Really? No recollection. I'm delighted. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. 48 years, yeah. They beat the runaway Greek champions Olympiakos 1-0 with, well, this is quite extraordinary, the benefit of a very, very tight VAR decision. And they will now meet Spanish side Sevilla next Tuesday for a place in the Europa League semi-finals. And we'll be talking to Dermot Corrigan, the athletic Spanish football expert, joining us from Madrid to preview that game. But first of all, Spiders, oh my goodness, how stressful was that? Oh my god! I my stomach was doing somersaults in that second half. Honestly, I cannot tell you. I was, was just waiting, waiting for the inevitable goal. I, it, it was, but but or penalty, like, yeah. Or it just lasted like half an hour. This like not an onslaught, but every time they got the ball in in Wolves's third, I was just wait, waiting for it to happen. I fully expecting extra time. I can't believe they didn't score. Uh, it was just, it was tense. And that was, that's even, you know, without fans. It's, perhaps it made it more tense in a way because you can hear every shout, you can hear every tackle, you can hear every ball being kicked. And it just creates this eerie atmosphere inside the stadium where you haven't got that release of fans doing a big song or a big cheer or, or whatever, or FVAR or whatever. So it, it, it you just concentrate on that tension constantly. It's a very weird experience. Obviously, it's not the same without fans, and it never will be. But it was it was a great night, and probably probably the best match entertainment wise that Wolves have had since uh, since lockdown. It was great, and um, I just I can't believe they got through because they were they were lucky, Jackie. They were lucky. Entertainment and great. They're, they're not two <laughs> words I'd have associated with watching that match. Oh my goodness! I just wonder from you actually being there. I mean, we watched it yes. through the television and fabulous commentary. By the way, I, I do love a, uh, a Peter Drury and Karen Carney combination. Really, really good. But and we had the crowd noise, and I love it with the crowd noise. But in the stadium, how weird is it for you in terms of the intensity of the play? Did you sense, and can you even really judge it properly? whether the actual intensity was at exactly the same level as it would have been had there been a crowd. It felt like it because there was, that's not been the case for every game behind closed doors, but it felt like it because there was so much on the line and it was meaty, by the way. It was, 
it was triple sausage bacon sandwich. There were so many meaty <laughs> challenges flying in and Olympiacos were so up for it. And last night's game and the game in Athens were the noisiest games of, of behind closed this behind closed doors era. Mostly thanks to the extremely noisy and rowdy uh, Greek contingent. There was some um there was some guy in the director's box towards the end. I don't know what his problem was, about 80, 90 minutes. He just goes, You're a disgrace, referee! Shouting from the director's box. Really? I, I don't know why, uh, what in particular, VAR or what, but he was furious. When they scored, in inverted commas, their equaliser, there's a couple of journalists behind me who were like, Yes, yes, come on! It is weird, isn't it? I mean, that happens in Europe a lot more than here. Here it's it so frowned upon from it journalists does. here. I mean, of course there are fans in press box. I mean, you're a fan in the press box, but you're a very professional one. And it's just not the done thing over here. But you go to um, you go to Europe and there was that, that famous one that did the rounds on Twitter a couple of years ago. Was it Was it in Madrid? And they were having parties yeah. virtually in the press yeah. box. And we're all, yeah. everyone in this country is like, oh, no, 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 we don't do that over here. When Espanyol were at Molyneux, they were standing up and cursing when when Wolves were knocking the goals in when Jota was scoring his hat trick, and uh, you know I'm as I'm as passionate about Wolves as pretty much anybody, Jackie, as you know. And your um, arms are currently in the air watching you on Zoom, <laughs> just, to, just folks to talk you through it. Spider's arms have basically been in the air most of this podcast, and he's been punching the air. You are oh, a happy God. bunny, aren't you? I, I've 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 had four hours sleep. I'm delirious. I've never stood up for a goal in the press box. I've come close. I do the old fist bumps and a bit of you know a bit of yes. But normally when there's a crowd in there, you can't hear a thing. But for it to be an empty stadium and these Greek journalists all getting up and ah yes, it was like it was weird. So it was it was rowdy, and um, but it was it was a great occasion. It was a great occasion. Like I said, they were they were lucky to get through. Come on, let's be honest. The VAR call, the offside by a toenail. Now, there's absolutely no complaints because Wolves have been done over so many times this season by those marginal calls. Pedro Neto laughs at that decision. He doesn't care at all. The chances they had in the second half, the, the saves that Patricio's made, El Arabi had quite a few chances. He was so dangerous. So I was really impressed with him, actually. And Wolves were just sat deep and... A better team would have would have beaten them last night, I think. And Olympiacos can count themselves unlucky. I don't know how they didn't score. But this is it's cup football. Who cares? Wolves, Wolves have got through. Some have managed to keep a clean sheet. I've seen a few people say if, if they play like that on Tuesday, there's no way they'll get through. Well, you know, they had fighting spirit. And it's cup competition. Anyone can win over 90 minutes. Let's do any it. Any more cliches you'd like to just ah, put in there before I ask I you any more you questions? I'm, I'm tired. I can't think of anything. Delirious, man. You can put as many cliches in there as you like. The Raul penalty, eight minute conversion. Worked oh, out I loved your very stat, sad. by the way. It's been about Ang- 10 Ang- minutes Angus, to work it out. Ang- Angus Lochran over here, Stato. I liked that. <laughs> You're a nice man, actually. Eighth minute, you know, you say Stato, how sad, because the TV graphics weren't working for the first few minutes. On BBC, it said eighth minute, and on the UEFA website, it said ninth minute. So I actually rewound it and put my timer on from the moment <laughs> the graphics went off to when they came back on. I'm a big fan of that. It's that bit weird. But anyway, it was definitely the eighth minute. What was your stat, though? Sorry, we haven't said. Yes, so it's the earliest goal that Wolves have scored in a game in all 58 games so far of this season. The next earliest earliest was the ninth by Saïs in the defeat at Everton last September. There were no other wow. goals all season before the 14th minute. Wow. Which, if you think about it, bear in mind this was a penalty as well. They didn't actually score it from open play. That is absolutely bonkers, isn't it? Too early. Don't like it. 
scored so, too yeah, early. So yeah, so now we know why they don't score yeah. early because the rest yeah, of the yeah. game was absolute torture to anyone of a golden black persuasion. They really, really did not deal with it with that unexpected and very unusual lead very well. They started really well. I thought they showed great intensity. I don't know how much it comes across on the telly, but they were flying yeah. into challenges. Olympiacos were abysmal. You know, they couldn't pass water. They were just giving the ball away constantly. And Wolves were taking advantage. They were, they were pressing high up the field. Deservedly in front, I guess. Jimenez never misses a penalty. Fantastic clinical. Pedence, great work chasing down that calamitous joker of a keeper. I mean, they, they should have tested him more, right? He was terrible. But after that VAR goal, inverted commas, they just, Wolves just never really settled after that and never really had control of the game. Can we just go back to the winning of the penalty? Because it was very yes. much a winning of a penalty rather than particularly an awarding one. And give some credit to Pedence because that's the second time he's won a penalty in his last mm. five games. Remember Everton at home. And that's not something particularly that Wolves were particularly good at before. And I'm talking specifically about making these penalties happen, making sure the referee has a decision to make and... Yeah, Bruno Fernandes and Manchester United do it oh very, very God. well. And they've had a gazillion penalties. And look where they are, by the way. Third in the Premier League, into the Champions League. It's all part of the game. It's probably the easiest way of scoring a goal is by getting someone to trip you in the box anyway. It could be 18 yards out, just get a little nudge. It's a penalty at the risk of stating the obvious. So credit to him for for doing that and for winning that second one. Man United have made a living out of winning penalties this season. And it's, and it's a massive part of, of getting them where they're at. And yeah, you're right. Very, very tenacious. He, he did win it. He got there first and then he kind of slowed down his run and the keepers bundled into him. Alex Ray spoke very well on this on our, on our last pod and, we, you know, we want to see more of that. Yeah, and also, I mean, just jumping ahead a little bit, but throughout the whole game, I messaged you at one point. I know you don't like me tweeting or messaging you during games because you're trying to do a million well, things. Hang on. But I, I can... <laughs> You just I love, ignore I love, I, all I love, my messages. I love your little nuggets during little chicken nuggets during the game. <laughs> they, 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 uh, no, some very interesting stats you come up with. But... I did notice in this game, I really, really did, and I don't know whether other Wolves fans picked up on it as well, that we talked about that a little bit, that it was very obvious that Chelsea were way more streetwise than Wolves. and They pushed Wolves' buttons. They seemed to be bigger, stronger, but really they physically imposed themselves. And Wolves looked tired and timid. And for whatever reason, they didn't seem as physical as Chelsea. Um, and Alex Ray talked about that, about how Wolves need to be more ruthless. I really felt that against Olympiacos, particularly in the closing stages, remember Connor Cody winning that free kick when there was virtually nothing in it and players going down. And it's not about cheating. It's about being clever and playing the game, seeing out the game. And how many times have we said on this pod, Burnley away, for example, how Wolves have not seen out games through their own fault, as well as you could say the referee, but allowing teams to come back and pump balls into the box and win yeah. penalties. Yep, yeah, Sheffield United away be another example. And oh, yeah. they weren't managing it at all well last night until about 10 minutes left, including injury time, where they won a corner, then they won a free kick. Jimenez stayed down for a bit. And in five, six minutes of stoppage time, there were no alarms. So, yeah, we, they are generally pretty good at closing the game out. But yeah, we've seen a couple of examples recently, as you said, of them not doing that. It's all part of growing up as a team, I think, like you say, become more streetwise. They faced more shots in that game than against yes. any other team at mm. home all season. Now, as, as Jolene Lescott pointed out, it could be that that's partly to do with their approach to the game is, you know, Burnley are famous for it, aren't they? That they, they face so many shots, but that's all part of it. They keep the opposition at distance. But... This wasn't particularly the game plan last night, was it? To to allow the opponent so much access to their box and to crosses, etc. 
No, I mean a lot of those were blocked, and there was only, there were only five on target. Patricio, just a word. I mean, one outstanding save in the first half, and the one in the second half was very good. I, I was. It's one of those you're almost on your feet for that second one when you see it in the stadium. But on the replay, you could see actually the header was was too close to him. It's still a great save. Take nothing away. But Nuno was very. Nuno went straight to him um, at full time on the pitch. He spoke about him. First thing he said post match, our keeper was great today. I think he's been brilliant this season, Jackie. I, I criticised him quite a bit last year, I think fairly, for his poor distribution, which led to a couple of goals. He kept giving the ball away and um, not great in the air. Dropped against Cardiff. He's ironed all that out this season. He's become a, an all-round, very consistent goalkeeper, certainly in the top five, six keepers in the league, I think, for me, maybe maybe higher. But he's been exceptional. He's been a bit of a rock and kept an awful lot of clean sheets. I thought he was great last night. But yeah, I think they, they, they were sat too deep Probably not helped by the early goal. I think they're a bit jittery. You know, if you open up and you look for that second goal to kill the game, you leave yourself a bit exposed and the away goal, etc. They were to concede a goal. Then Olympiacos score again and suddenly you need two to win the game. So it's a different dynamic in, in, in two-legged European football. That's gone now. We're down to one leg for the rest of the tournament, which is good. But, um, but yeah, a little bit too nervy. Sat a little bit too deep. Invited a bit too much pressure. And... There were some heroic blocks, a couple of good saves. Like I said, they were a bit lucky to get through, but it's cup football. They showed the metal to get through. Just on Patricio, I can't remember you and I talking too much about him on this podcast. We started in January. We haven't really mentioned him a great deal, partly because he hasn't been the key figure in so many matches. In terms of the standout journalistic top line when you come out of a match and what you're writing about, he hasn't really featured very much in that. But last night was the first time, really, you came away thinking, keeper really really helped win that I can't remember a man of the match performance you know before last night in particular equally I can't remember a mistake and if he had if he had made a glaring mistake we'd have been talking about it of course so I guess that shows his level of consistency Mm. and he is the current reigning European champion still as well yeah absolutely yeah class act I remember being in the stadium in Paris uh, for that final against France and uh, I think didn't think, yeah, it was FRITV. Didn't think at that time that this guy would be uh, gracing the Europa League Amatino. at Molyneux um, in, a, in a wall shirt. Never really thought. Sorry? And Martinho as well, was he playing? Yes, and Martinho. Didn't expect that either. Um, so it's just um, it's just the other fella, Ronaldo, is still yet to come in uh, <laughs> on a golden black shirt. But we'll give him a couple of years until he's only got one leg left and then, he, then he'll come and play for Wolves. Uh, Nuno post-match. Oh, post-match. So the huddle. Talk us through this huddle and what you saw. Well, very emotional at full time. Obviously, you know, they've been through the ringer, a real nerve shredder. They've ended the season poorly. Let's let's put it in a bit of context. You know, they fell off towards the end. Two wins out of six. They were, what, seven points ahead of Spurs at one point and end up finishing behind them. Then Arsenal win the cup. Missed that. You know, they've loved this European adventure this season. They're desperate to be in Europe next season. So that's a rare disappointment at Wolves. You know, we talk about the mental fatigue, perhaps more than the physical fatigue of this, what you've got to say. I can't imagine that it's not the longest season in English football history in terms of time. I mean, I cannot imagine that there's been one longer than this, more than a year. So It's not possible, yeah. The question that I was asking myself before the game is, you know, can they rouse themselves for, for one final push? He gave them four days off after after Chelsea to try and refresh the batteries. You know, we spoke about how he was tetchy after Chelsea. He said, this is a prison. You know, we want to go and see our families. He hasn't seen his family since May. 
a lot of the players would love to go home to Portugal, but you can't. There's no air bridge. They'd love to go to Spain maybe to meet their families. They can't do that now. So all this context and then this 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 massive game last night and they've had to work so hard to get through it. So there was a real outpouring of emotion at full time and I've, well, Nuno's never done anything like this before. I mean, it, the players were starting to leave the field. A lot of them had gone down the tunnel unused subs and staff had gone down the tunnel and Nuno stood on the pitch in the middle and he started to get a few of the players together and you can see he's trying to get them all into a circle a big huddle it took about four or five minutes to get them all together uh, Pedence, Bolly, Saiz were all talking to Olympiacos players that someone had to run down the tunnel to go and get the ones that had left and then after a few minutes while to the strains of Hey Jude pumping around Molyneux at full blast he gets all all players and staff together and I'm talking everybody i've written a piece on it this morning uh, there was 33 of them there in total all in a circle including people like matt wignall soft tissue therapist uh danny fishwick rehab specialist sports scientist tom mail the doc club doctors were there to this yeah exactly time. so it was, it was a very very pointed show of of club unity and you know we asked him afterwards what did, he, what did he say in this huddle? And he was basically said he was talking about how make it worth it, you know, make all this effort worth it. Let's go to Germany. Let's do it. He said, today we were brave, but we should be better, as in, in terms of their performance. And he kind of made a point about Molyneux and said, look, this is the last game at Molyneux this season. We miss our fans, but we'll be, we'll be together again soon. And he said, our holidays can wait. You know, we have it. We will have our holidays, but not for now. Last eight of the Europa, let's make it worth it. So he's... Honestly, he's been he's been increasingly emotional in recent weeks. I think the pandemic has weighed heavily on his shoulders. You know, he was very concerned about people at the club and people in the city of Wolverhampton when he was back home in Portugal in in March April. I think it's affected him, and he's become he's become more emotive in his in his language, and you know he's even sort of talking about winning the competition in his own way he would never do that he is game by game we will compete this is a tough game every single week without fail press conferences are mind-numbingly dull sometimes he started to open up now and he said pre-match he said look we were the first team to start this season we want to be the last team to finish it now that's his way of saying let's win this competition he never speaks like that and again last night he was put to him you know can Wolves win this competition And, and he said you know we're confident with every challenge that we face Normally he just bat that away. I know it doesn't sound like much, but this is this is him opening up. This is him being more emotive. So yeah, very emotive finish. Connor Cody as well on his haunches. Um, he was on the pitch for about what fifteen minutes after the game. I mean, he was doing some interviews on his phone, but he was still just kind of sat there and taking it all in. And it's a huge achievement for this club. You can't underestimate, like you said earlier, for what forty-eight years since they got this far in Europe. It's wonderful. It's. Um, Long may it continue. You know they're they're all they're all they're in this to win it. They firmly believe they can win this competition. And you can read all about the huddle and the emotion and colour behind what everybody witnessed. Most of us from the television at Molyneux against Olympiacos. If you go to theathletic.com forward slash Wolves Pod, if you haven't subscribed already, then go to that link theathletic.com forward slash Wolves Pod. For the first 30 days free, plenty of other insight to read, such as your article on Matt Doherty as well. 
Do you like beer? Do you like free beer? As a valued listener, we'd like to bestow upon you just that. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash wolves and cover the postage of $4.95. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of the Molyneux View, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers by my maths. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 delivers a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time the powers in your hands, as well as the best, most interesting beer that money can buy. Your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive and a beery snack thrown in too, just to top it all off. Don't like dark beers? Then choose the light plan. Easy. Just go to beer52.com forward slash wolves to get your case free. And don't forget right now, Molyneux View listeners get two extra free beers. Nuno talking about rest rest the boys need to rest we fly to germany and compete well he hasn't got a lot of time to rest has he it's the game is tuesday that's hardly any time and and probably no johnny as well by the looks of it no johnny no pedence well we say no johnny but you know it didn't look good looked like a pretty serious knee injury to me um no contact looked in agony he was sat he he, he walked he walked up and hoddled to the hobbled to the touchline you see he wanted to play on but he couldn't and he was sat down near the dugout and he was banging things in frustration that's not good that's not just a little tweak and oh I might have to go off here that's you know Nuno said afterwards it didn't look good is what he said so that'd be a huge blow a huge blow he's so consistent he's so good defensively which is what they're going to need for the rest of this tournament and whoever they play you know Vinagra Great, full of his youthful exuberance, but he's he's much more suspect defensively than Johnny. Johnny's such a reliable presence. So that's a blow. Pedence is banned, suspended. Ridiculous situation. He's booked twice in the Champions League for Olympiacos earlier this season. That carries over despite the fact he's changed club, despite the fact he's in a new competition. And the reason he got booked, I mean, you, you, I didn't notice it at the time. You'll have seen it better than me. But it seems like he walked off the wrong area of the pitch when he was being subbed. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy way to get booked. It really is. That's the law, but nobody enforces it. Nobody enforces that rule. The ref was waving yellow cards left, right and centre last night and struggling to keep hold of the game, I thought, with some really tasty challenges, mostly from Olympiacos. But yeah, so Podence should have should have left the far side of the field, right? But instead he walked over, probably a bit of time wasting in it. It's because he thought it was time wasting. So it's not literally because he, he got off at the wrong place. There is reason behind it. But he wasn't trudging off. He wasn't crawling. So to book him for that, it's the rule, but nobody enforces it. That's why it's, yeah. it, ugh, you know, it's so harsh. Again, but again, if, it, yeah. if he knows that rule, then it's stupid from his point and of view. And if he knows that he's booking away from missing the quarterfinal. And, and that you, as well. You need and to that as well. So right? yeah, that is a bit stupid. If, if he knows the rule and he knows he's booking away, which he should do. So that's a, that's a blow. You know, we know how small this squad is. I mean, how many times can we look at a Wolves game and say that they're, two, that they're missing two players today? Never happens. They've always got a fully fit squad. So to now have two key players out is a real blow. I don't know how they're going to fill the bench, by the way, because they need 12 players on the bench. I mean, do you, if, you, if, you, if I take my boots to Germany, I might get on. 
Um, they, I'm not sure they've like got the squad to do it. Like that, yeah. I'm not sure. Madness, I'm not sure they've got the bio, the the bio bubble squad to do it. So, so yeah, that that's um, that's a real shame. But it's um, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily dent their chances of winning. And just before we preview the severe quarterfinal with Dermot Corrigan, the Spanish football expert, a couple of tweets for you, Tim. Steve FWR asks, what's happened to our beloved Jota? He seems to have become the master of falling over or choosing option zero of a choice of one and two. What is that? Is it confidence? Lack of? He's a confidence player. I think he's shown that throughout his throughout his Wolves, three-year Wolves career. You know, he scores in streaks. We, we touched on this in the last pod. You know, I think he kind of goes eight, nine games without scoring. Then he scores about six or seven in three. And then and then he and then he goes on a he goes on a barren run again and then he'll streak again. That's that's what he does really. And at the moment he's in this barren run. I think it's one in ten, one in eleven, something like that. You can see his confidence just isn't there. He should have put the game to bed last night. Presented with a Olympiacos presented Wolves with most of their opportunities, and they presented him with another one with a woeful back pass. And if he rounds the keeper, it's two 0 and it's game over. We're so used to seeing him put those away, aren't we? It just doesn't look like it at the moment. I never thought for a second he was actually going to score that. That's a good point, and I was exactly the same. I fully expected him not to score, which is sad, isn't it? We'll 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 go, we'll go through it in a bit when we talk about team news, but. There is a concern there, lack of firepower. Traore's gone off since his last shoulder dislocation. A repeat of earlier in the season, um, I think he had a shoulder dislocation, was it late December, early January? Maybe against Man United in early January. And then he went off the boil for a month or so. The same's happened again. It's obviously on his mind, you know, to me. Just not his free-flowing best. So you've got that, you've got Pedence out, you've got Jimenez not doing a huge amount in front in front of goal recently. He looks a little bit tired. I know he scored his penalty last night. You've got Jota out of form. Well. And with a baby, you've got Jota out of form and you've and you've got Neto, the the exuberant youngster who's who's still inconsistent. You know, he was poor against Chelsea last time out. So that's that's a concern. However, Wolves are not Wolves are not going to go to Severe and beat them five nil free flow and attacking football right. It's gonna be sit, defend, try and get a goal on the break. So they're still capable of doing that. Of course they are. When you think about you know, the Leicester City comeback, the craziness, and, and Jota was so key to that, wasn't he? And and also, if not him, then you're thinking Pedence. So if Jota's off the ball and Pedence is not even on it, uh, a little concern there. But they do, of course, have Neto, who is um, a fabulous player with a huge amount of pace and ability. Avid spectator. Wolves look worn out. So many misplaced passes and second balls available to opposition. Is there any chance that they can regain mid-season form before Tuesday? How? He asks. He or she. Well, yeah, since 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 the restart, they've they've played a lot of boring football, as, as we've talked about. You know, they're not their swashbuckling best. Um, I think they've kind of reverted to this attritional style. You know, to get to get through games and it's gotten through quite a few games. They've kept a lot of clean sheets. They've won a few games, but when you're talking of teams, the quality of Severe and potentially Man United, you know, you've got to offer a bit more than just um, defensive rigidity. But yeah, they, they they did just keep giving the ball away last night. They look a bit done to me. They look they look a bit shot in terms of um, in terms of mental fatigue, perhaps or physical fatigue. I'm, I, can it just click and come back in one game? I don't know. Does it have to? Can they get through on what they did last night? Yes, they can in a one-off game. They can. 
Hi there, I'm David Ornstein and I've launched a brand new show on YouTube, Ask Ornstein, where I answer questions from our athletic subscribers. To get your question answered, simply leave a comment at the bottom of my column every Monday and I'll choose my favourites. To watch the show, head over to the TIFO Podcast YouTube channel and a new episode will be up every Tuesday afternoon. So it'll be Wolves against the record five-time Europa League winners Sevilla for a place in the semi-finals. That match takes place in Duisburg next Tuesday, August the 11th at 8pm UK time, 9pm local time. And we'll record a podcast the following morning to reflect on whatever transpires that evening. Well, let's bring in Dermot Corrigan now, Spanish football expert who writes for The Athletic, based in Madrid. Thanks for joining us, Dermot. Hey Jackie, lovely to talk. What are your thoughts on that tie next Tuesday and how it's likely to pan out as a football match? It's a very interesting tie for, for Sevilla because I'm not sure if Sevilla have ever met Wolves before. And people in Spain are a little bit intrigued at Wolves as a name, a new name in the Premier League that they haven't seen that much of, but they know they have a lot of very good players. They have some players who have connections to, to Spain as well, who've either played here or, or some Spanish players are around the squad, people who, who are linked to, to La Liga teams as well. So everybody's very much looking forward to it. I think it's a very interesting tie for, for the Europa League at this stage. Is it fair to say they're feeling pretty confident given the form they're in and particularly how tired the Wolves players are looking at the moment given they've played 58 games already this season? Sevilla, they really do love the Europa League. It's a competition in which Sevilla are always very confident in that they know that they they can do well, have beaten a lot of of big names in the competition in the past. There was a little bit of people wondering how they were going to come back against Roma on Thursday night because Sevilla had been off for a while. They'd had a a little bit of a coronavirus scare as well in the squad but everybody was very impressed by by how they they dismantled Roma they really dominated Roma over the 90 minutes and won easily 2-0 and could have won by even more and as somebody who's seen a lot of Sevilla who would you pick out as being the key figures in this matchup? It's a very new team this season, similarly enough to, to Sevilla. You know, a lot of players t- tend to come and go, and over 40 players either came or left the Estadio Sanchez Piece one last summer. But the, the, the new arrivals are a lot of the key players in the team. Um, Diego Carlos at centre-back ha- has been fantastic for them. He's been linked with a lot of, of bigger teams. Fernando, the ex-Man City guy in central midfield, ha- has come in and done really well alongside Ever Banega, who's the key player in the Wolves, or excuse me, in the in the Sevilla team, really. He's the guy who makes them tick. And he's going to leave. He's heading off to the Gulf as soon as this season is over. So he's on a little bit of a, a swan song and he's determined to, to go out on a high. Um, and then Lucas Ocampos on the, you can play either right or left wing. He's been their, their main attacking threat this season. Uh, Argentina international, who's, who's really strong and direct. He's not really a, a forward. He's more a wide attacker who, who, can pick up the ball deep and drive into the the opposition defence. And he's but he has scored a lot of goals from this year, so they'll be their their key guys in in the team. We know how Wolves will approach it. I would have thought, you know, against against the big teams in the Premier League, they're very adept at sitting deep and and trying to hit teams on the break. You know, they don't necessarily have a lot of possession. How do you think? Um, Sevilla will approach it tactically. They're not the most exciting team to watch. They're not the most sparkling. They also like to to be very organised. They, I was reading one of the, the previous, I think it was to the Roma game, where they, they often surprise their opponents, that their opponents think they're in control of the game, and then suddenly they find themselves behind or they find themselves completely out of it. That they're, uh, They all know, all the players know their roles really well. They're very well coached. They're very well organised. So it's unlikely, they don't really want to have to dominate possession to and to... to very unlikely for them to be drawn out of position maybe by by Wolves and to to allow Wolves to counter-attack them. That's not something that Seville want to do. So it could be a quite tight game. It might not be the most entertaining, especially in the first half as the two teams kind of 
um, look at each other and, and work out how best to, to cause damage to their opponent. It's okay, um, we used to not the most entertaining of matches at the moment watching Wolves. They're just grinding and limping their way to the end of the season. You mentioned Lopetegui there. I mean, I think he's gone on record as saying he basically agreed to become Wolves manager in 2016 when, when Fosun took the club over. A bit of a sliding doors moment though. He, he ends up taking the Spain job. You know, we know what happened there. He ends up leaving on the eve of the World Cup and then goes to Madrid and leaves there quite quickly. Is he now restoring his, his reputation with the work he's doing at Sevilla? Yeah, he's had such a such a weird uh, managerial career, you know, because he, he did so well with the, the Spanish underage teams, which I guess was what attracted Wolves to him. And it would have been, you know, it would have been when Wolves were in the, the championship at that stage, that would have been kind of the level maybe that we might have expected Lopetegui to, to move on to for his next job. You know, it was an interesting project and he has links to to Jorge Mendes as well. So it might have made sense at that point. Then it would Spain were was difficult for Spain to find a replacement to for Vicente del Bosque. So they went for the guy who had had such success with the underage teams. And it seemed to be all going really, really well. You know, they were one of the favourites ahead of the competition in Russia until Florentino Perez, the Madrid president, made him an offer he, he couldn't refuse. And that what just went disastrously for everybody. You know, Spain bombed out of the World Cup and Lopetegui He's a he's a difficult character. He's not the most open of of speakers. He he's a very intelligent, very driven, intense kind of guy. But he, he's not maybe the pressure of the Bernabeu job, and especially how he went into it, just meant that he was in trouble from the start there. And you know, went awfully for him. Got sacked in October after losing five nil at the the camp now, which you know, as a Real Madrid coach, is, is pretty disastrous. So he was somebody with a lot to prove. Uh, and Monchi, the Sevilla sporting director, you know, it was almost a surprise pick when he went for Lopetegui as well because of how things had gone in in Madrid because of his reputation but once he said that he was somebody who needed a success who needed to turn his career around and that's what he's done at Sevilla it's been really impressive how quickly he, he organized a new team built them together you know as I said they're not the most sparkling of teams but they're really well organized and the, the, the players there just the people who you speak to around the club you know Lopetegui is not the easiest person to get to know but they they really like him they really respect him they follow his instructions really well he doesn't have to deal with the the big egos that he had at Madrid because there's a lot of guys at Sevilla who you know are, are on their way up or older players who who are happy to 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 do what they're told on like maybe at Madrid so the fit was really good and he has you know he's done an excellent job there they're unbeaten in the last 17 games going back to the 9th of February five wins and a draw in the last six are you able to pinpoint any weaknesses in this side that Wolves might be able to take advantage of the biggest weakness in the team is that they don't score enough goals um, Luke de Jong uh, was their starting centre forward for much of the season but he's barely scored at all and Naziri came he started uh, against Roma and he scored but it was a you know, is from from very close range. So they they have been grinding out results, and they, their problem is against teams maybe who sit back a bit like Wolves. But they, they've been finding a way to to win games, whether it's through set pieces or you know people and other rival teams often accuse them of being lucky. You know that how how did they manage to win that game? But they hang in there. So the the, the weakness in the team would be maybe a lack of creativity or a lack of an ability to break down teams who who sit deep and who don't allow them much space. And I guess that's what, what Wolves might be trying to, to take advantage of it in the game. And personnel-wise, would you expect many changes from the side that beat Roma? No, I, I don't think so. Um, they have a, a fairly set, especially the, the back four is very well set and into midfield as well. They, they might, like Enaziri en- starting was a bit of a surprise. Suso as well, you know, a guy who was a youngster at Liverpool but who, who um, hasn't really established himself. You know, maybe they'll make some changes in the attack. 
Uh, Munir El Haddadi might come in, who would be be an ex teammate of of Adama Traore back at Barcelona. They'd know each other from from a long time back. He he might come into the team, but it, the changes the main structure of the team, you know, is very well set. The two centre backs, the the two main guys in midfield, and then people like Jesus Navas, who's gone through a an excellent kind of late spell in, in his career, or Campos as well. These are the, the the most important players in the team, and they always play when they can. Well, it sounds like quite a tight game to me. Um... Bearing in mind this is a Wolves podcast and predominantly Wolves fans will listen and it's easy to find you on Twitter. Um, what, uh, what, what do you rate Wolves' chances on Tuesday? I think that it's, it's, a, it's a typical game in which there be a might slip up. You know, even, you know, I think people are looking ahead to the possibility of playing Manchester United that I'd almost rate Sevilla's chances against United as better than, than against Wolves because Wolves are the type of team who, who Sevilla might come, come unstuck again, against because Wolves have their own... And I'm not just saying this because of what you said there, but they have some very talented players in midfield, guys who, you know, Raul Jimenez as well, who can score the goal. So Wolves, maybe Sevilla might underestimate them a little bit because there's been talk in the from the club president and from, you know, especially looking and reading some of the, the local media in, in Andalusia this morning, just looking at it on the internet, that they're already, you know, thinking like Sevilla, I think it's five times that they've got to this stage of the Europa League or the, the UEFA Cup. And they've always won the tournament. So they're looking so far ahead. So, you know, Wolves might be able to catch them a little bit cold considering that. And they've already qualified for the Champions League via the league because they finished fourth in La Liga, didn't they? Do you think that will have any bearing on the way they play? As in they're simply playing to win a trophy, whereas Wolves are, are playing to win a trophy and to get into Europe because they haven't qualified for the Europa League again. When we came back from the lockdown, it wasn't clear at all that Sevilla were going to, to finish fourth I think they were third when the football stopped, but there was a lot of teams around and it was a very tight race. But them, them and Atletico both quite easily sealed it in the end that they, they made a big, put a big emphasis on you know, playing really well, on making sure that they had that Champions League spot sealed before the Europa League. So a little bit that the Europa League was seen as, as a bonus that they can attack it to go for the trophy, not for, for the Champions League, like financially and everything that they don't have that... Uh, like at Sevilla, if they weren't to make the Champions League financially, it would be a, a, an issue for them. Whereas now they can play with a little bit of that pressure. Off. And a question from Matthew Scrivens for both of you, Tim and Dermot: Does a neutral venue and a one-legged tie favour Wolves' approach when preparing for the quarters? Also, if it's deemed successful, could UEFA adopt one-legged ties going forward, much like the FA seem to finally, if slowly, be doing away with FA Cup replays? I think it could. I think it could benefit Wolves. Certainly, it could act as a bit of a leveller. And you know they've they've got a decent cup pedigree. Like I said, they they're pretty adept at sitting deep and and soaking the life out of a game and, and trying to edge it one nil. I think I think it suits them quite well. Yeah, there has been talk in Sevilla or around Sevilla about how it doesn't suit them because they feel that over two legs, especially with the history of the club in this competition, that they always tended to find a way. You know, under Unai Emery when he was the coach. They often, um, you know, win on away goals, or the, it would be tight, but they they find a way to nick it in the second leg. Whereas over a bit, as Tim is saying, they're over ninety minutes. It's more down to maybe a, a moment of brilliance from one individual, or, or you know, things can go outside the plan that a coach might have for the game. And Lopetegui makes such such great plans that over two legs, it, 
great might be overstating it a bit there but he, <laughs> he, he over over two legs they would fancy themselves to be able to strategically to find a way whereas 90 minutes is a little bit more random and how strong would you say the severe bench is at the moment wolves are struggling a little bit looks as though johnny might be out a horrible injury against olympiakos they'll be without suspended uh, pedence but in contrast how strong would you say the bench is for severe that is an advantage that severe might have that they do have quite a strong bench there's a lot of there's a good few players on the bench, people like Oliver Torres, who was a star at Atletico Madrid as a kid, but is still kind of finding his way in his mid-20s, who, who might be able to come in. John Jordan, the ex-Iber midfielder. They have, they have some good players who don't quite make the, the starting eleven, so they and that, that helped them through, through the lockdown phase. Lopetegui was able to rotate quite a lot and, and win their game. So I think their bench you know, might be an advantage over Wolves if, if you say that they have a few injury worries. And just very finally, Dermot, just wonder what the view is of Wolves in Spain generally. Do they do they make many waves in terms of the attention that's put on the Premier League? People notice them particularly because of Adama Traore and the likes of Johnny as well that's over there now? Yeah, I think Wolves are, are quite liked, I would have an impression. I, I'm not sure if that's my own. I've always had a little bit of a... Uh, a soft spot for Wolves. I went to Malno when I, like from I'm from Ireland, but I, I was at Malno as a, as a teenager, and um, so I was the only person in my my village with a Wolves jersey for a while until it got nicked. Actually, I not say, but uh, <laughs> not sure they're all the rage. You just yeah, can't get them. <laughs> nobody else ha- had one, but uh, I think yeah, like with the the links with the ownership of the club, it, it's seen a, as as interesting as one to follow, and Nuno as well, Valencia fans. You know, he did a, a very good job at Valencia in difficult situation then it didn't work out for him but the ownership at Valencia and the ownership at Wolves is maybe there's some similarities there whereas Wolves are seen as a club in which the ownership has worked out well for them the the links that they have with agents has been a positive for Wolves whereas maybe some clubs in in Spain those those relationships haven't worked out as well so people wonder you know maybe why it's working so well at Wolves or compare it to to different clubs in Spain and for that they they always keep an eye on, on how Wolves are going. Okay, well, Dermot, having outed yourself as a closet boyhood <laughs> wolf supporter, you're allowed back on the Molyneux View podcast anytime you like, okay? Cool. Thanks a million, Jackie. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks for coming on. Hey, everyone. James Richardson here from the Totally Football Show. Listen, 11 months on, we're finally getting to the best bit of this football season because the Champions League and Europa League are about to restart at the sharp end. Last eight knockout tournaments await in Portugal and Germany and we'll be following both competitions with special nightly podcasts every single match day ready for you to download first thing in the morning. So have your breakfast with Honigstein, Horncastle, Cox, Gurianov and all your other totally favourites and me as we wave goodbye to this epic footballing year in style. Our daily Totally Summer Special is available on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. And of course, you can also listen to it ad-free on the Athletic app. Football, by the hell. So Tim, what's your starting eleven for Tuesday? When I woke up this morning, uh, just literally the first thing I thought of, should, should Leander Dendonka play in midfield on Tuesday? Um, <laughs> honestly, um, I think 3-5-2 um, I think might be the way to go. I think it might. I think, as we've discussed, a one-off game. You know, they're not going to open up and try and and try and um, spank severe. It's going to be a sit deep. Let's hit them on the break. It is, and as Dermot suggested, there, shock. It could be quite a boring game, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's all about the result. I think with Vinagra playing, 
you want a bit more defensive solidity in that team. I think Dendonka brings that. Jota gets the nod over Traore. I think Traore, especially with his recent form, is better off the bench. And the same goes for Neto. And I think if you're losing 1-0 after 60 minutes, then you've got you can go 3-4-3. You can bring Traore on. You can bring Neto on. They've not got many other options off the bench, so they've got to leave something up their sleeve. I think it'd be 3-5-2 with Jota. I know he's not been in great form, but he's a very good team player. He's very good at defending from the front. And he is due a bit of magic. He is due a goal. It will come at some point. He enjoys this competition. Let's hope it's on Tuesday. I think that's what Nuno will do. So what's the plan logistically now for the team, Tim? Because there's not a lot of time, is there? No, and as you can imagine, they have been planning for this which is not the Wolves not the Wolves way, is it, in inverted commas. It's all game by game, but they've had to plan for this Germany trip without knowing what was going to happen on Thursday night. So, yeah, they've got a hotel sorted. I'm sure it's extremely luxurious. Um, not the Cologne Travelodge, where some of us might be. Um, I'm killed <laughs> to be in the Cologne Travelodge. No, 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 Stop totally, complaining. Yeah. I, do you know, I don't even know. I don't even know, where, I don't even know where I'm staying. I'm only joking. Um, so, yeah, they're flying on Sunday afternoon. They'll obviously... They'll obviously, obviously the coronavirus situation, I think it's quite similar over there to, to here. Um, fingers crossed, everything stays okay. You know, they've had an increase in cases in Germany, but at the moment everything's, you know, as, as open as it can be, similarly to over here. So they're flying out on Sunday. There'll be a bio-bubble, obviously. They'll have to perhaps be ruthless with who they can take in terms of staff. But most importantly, in terms of players, they'll take everyone they can, um, especially if with Pedence suspended and, and Johnny potentially out injured. Um, we spoke earlier, you know, they've got to use 12 subs. So so they fly on Sunday. I'm not sure where they're staying yet, but their first their game on Tuesday is in Duisburg, which is the home of third-tier German side MSV Duisburg. It's at the MSV Arena. They're a third-tier team, but they've got a nice, swanky-spanky 30,000 stadium. That's about an hour's drive from Cologne, which is where the semis and the final are. So the matches, all the Europa League matches have been played basically in, in, in West Germany, not too far from, from Holland, spread around three or four stadiums around there. So yeah, we'll start in Duisburg. If they beat Sevilla, they will play Man United or Stoller Solbakken's Copenhagen in the Europa League semi-finals in Cologne on Sunday, August the 16th. Jackie Oatley with her fist in her mouth as I speak, pulling a very nervous expression. I can't expression. believe you're even saying these words. I mean, what a I story know, either way. The fact they're playing at Sevilla, who've won it five times, great pedigree in this competition, with a manager who so nearly took over at Wolves, then they could, in theory, if they beat them, well, will, in theory, if they beat them, uh, play either... Man United, who they... Well, they did have a bit of a hoodoo over Ole Gunnar Solskjaer until this they season in the FA Cup. When Wolves maybe took their eye off the ball anyway with it not being a priority. Played them four times already this season. <clears throat> yes, it's about time they played them again, isn't it? Um, or <laughs> Stala Solbacher. I mean, what a story either way, but uh, we can't get too far ahead. And we're not even thinking about the final, yet, are we? <gasps> oh, no, well, yeah, the, the, final, the final's also in Cologne. Thank you very much. Tim, what are you working on this week before the quarterfinal? So there'll be a couple of pieces out before Tuesday. I'm going to do something on Lopetegui and, and the move that never was to Wolves and a bit of a scene setter for the week. And if nobody's read it, well, <laughs> some people have read it, thankfully. Then um, I did a, did a big piece on um, Matt Doherty's 10-year anniversary at Wolves, which will drop during the Europa League uh, week, I think. Um, but yes, it's 10 years this month since Matt Doherty joined Wolves. I had the pleasure of speaking to his dad at length, who's his biggest fan and his biggest critic. 
and told me some lovely anecdotes about um, Doc's time as a carpet cleaner in Dublin. Um, oh, was it carpet cleaner, not carpet fitter? Is that right? Carpet cleaner. Oh, I always thought he was fitter. Oh, good knowledge. That's proper journalism a- right there, talking to somebody a- who was there. Aqua Dry, 40 years in business. Um, Tom Doherty's carpet cleaning business, which he still runs over in Dublin. So w- we had a lovely chat. And I also spoke to Mick McCarthy, who was great. Uh, massively high praise for Doherty. Spoke to Carla Kimi. Spoke to um, his Doc's former manager at Bohemians and Hibs, where he took him on loan, Pat Fenlon. Lots of stories, lots of anecdotes, lots of colour. Um, have a read if you haven't already. Do subscribe if you haven't already. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Wolves pod for all of those wonderful articles. And I have obviously already paid my subscription a long time ago, about a year ago, The Athletic, has, uh, since it started. And uh, so I should be reading that article today. Join us again next Wednesday when we'll reflect on that Wolves severe match and maybe, just maybe, even get to preview a semi-final, a European semi-final, possibly against Manchester United for goodness sake. Can't even think about that yet. Bye for now.